Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 49 of the Sock Takes Pod. We are sponsored by Roughneck Scarves. We've got a fantastic episode lined up for you tonight. Three-man panel. I'm your host, Kevin Johnston. Alongside me is our co-host, Sock Takes staff writer, John Leonard. John, what's going on, buddy? And uh, how is the new gig going with uh, the WPSL? It's going well, and uh, yeah, the gig's going well as well. Uh, I've got an interesting piece coming on the Lakeland Tropics, expanding their presence by joining forces with an existing WPSL team that should be coming out this week, and we've been uh, covering quite a lot of games, and the season for every team will have started by a week from this upcoming Saturday. So it's about to start getting properly busy, but it's been going well. Excellent. And we have a returning guest joining us for the second time. We are thrilled to have senior writer for MLSsoccer.com. He also does excellent coverage for the MLS Super Draft every year. <laughs> and uh, we're just glad to have him. So Matt Doyle is our guest. Thanks so much for joining us again, Matt. And just tell me, uh, why didn't you at Francisco Calvo, Matt? <laughs> <laughs> I can actually tell you that if if, <laughs> if you're interested, um, like having a, a you know a, a public profile myself um, on on Twitter, and obviously it's not uh, equivalent to a professional <laughs> athlete's or even a professional team's profile. Um, I know that sometimes it's just a bummer to get bombarded with all those apps. It, it, like whether you know, no matter how thick your skin is, um, and Calvo's is not particularly thick. That type of, of stuff can bring you down. So I generally do not at teams or players um, when I am, am pointing out uh, something in, in terms of their shortcomings. Just like if I write a column ex explaining how a certain team got exposed or not. It's not like I'm emailing those players who, who did a bad job. Uh, so I, I kind of do it for their own sanity. Um, and and when, when the Minnesota United social team you know, got a burr up their ass and decided that they wanted to, to come <laughs> back at me and say, oh, you should at him if you're going to do that. Like, well, of course, then I will at him. Um, but like, to me, it's just a sign of, of respect to say, you know, what, uh, this doesn't need to be in your mentions. If you want to search your name, you can search your name and, and you can find it. But um, it's not not every criticism needs to be directed uh, specifically at a player or, or even a, a team handle. Definitely got a good chuckle out of that yesterday. Um, we'll talk plenty of MLS here, I'm sure, in a minute. First, let's jump over to USMNT briefly. Uh, Dave Sarakin announced his roster for the game that's a week from today, actually, May 28th, next Monday, against Bolivia. And the average age of the roster he called in is 22. So I don't think that came as much of a surprise. It was pretty much reported prior to that 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 was going to happen. So, uh, Matt, were you glad just to see that come to fruition? Um, and what are your thoughts on that? And what are you expecting from this Bolivia friendly? I, I don't have a ton of thoughts on it. I mean, he did the right thing by calling in a super young team. Um, of course, you know, he did this before in January and he played the oldest lineup possible of all the players that he <laughs> called in. I don't, I don't care. I, I honestly, I don't care about this friendly at all. I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I don't care. <laughs> I, I just hope nobody gets hurt. And I hope that, um, they have fun in Europe next week as well. And, uh, you know, maybe one or two get a, you know, a nice 
move to a big club or something, but it, it's, it's guys, I don't care. It's, <laughs> I will, I will be less bitter probably after the world cup, but for now I just, I don't even want to bother with it. Fair enough. And after your, your first appearance on the sock takes pod, uh, must've been several months ago. Uh, I saw on Twitter, you said something that kind of sparked my interest and I immediately was like, damn it. You know, I wish I could ask that on the, on the first pod. So thrilled to have you back. Um, you said something on Twitter, um, a, a certain famous writer that's from here uh-huh. in Indianapolis. Not, not, not all of the Sock Take staff is from Indianapolis, but uh, multiple guys that were kind of based in Indy here. So famous writer from Indy. Um, I won't give away the story, but it sounds like uh, for a while you had a, you were carving out kind of a nice career as a bit of a, a screenwriter. And anyway, uh, why don't you just jump in and, and take over from there? Well, it wasn't a screenwriter. It was a playwright. Um, and, and, there is almost no such thing as a nice career as a playwright uh, these <laughs> days. Uh, you have to uh, you have to get very lucky and you have to be very ambitious. And I was I was honestly neither. Um, and like I've worked in professional sports now uh, for for a decade. And if you think it's competitive in professional sports, you cannot imagine what Broadway is like. Um, it is, it is just no holds barred bloodbath. Um, so anyway, I was not carving out a nice career, but I was dabbling, uh, <laughs> as a playwright and I had written a couple of one act plays and then I, um, I, I adapted a short story by Kurt Vonnegut. Um, and to, to get the, the stage, the rights to do a stage adaptation, um, you almost always need to go through whatever author's representatives. But in this case, and this was 2001, this was, um, he, he was he was getting up there, but he was still, you know, Kurt Vonnegut, and he was still, you know, sharp mind and um, really engaged. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I wrote to him asking for permission, and he wrote back saying, before I give you permission, I have to see the adaptation, and I have to see your one-act play that, uh, that that you'll be performing performing this with because it was a collection of, of one acts that uh, me and a group of friends were putting up. So I thought, oh, okay. Um, and so I sent it to him. I sent him, you know, sent him both. Um, and he <laughs> he wrote back to me. He said, "You're a good writer. Keep it up. You have permission to to do a stage adaptation of my play." So yeah. So so Kurt Vonnegut, seventeen years ago told me I was a good writer. Um, and, and naturally, at that point, I just stopped writing for like five years because <laughs> you can only really go downhill after that. You can only, yeah. like, there's no, there's no higher point um, than, than Kurt Vonnegut sending you a note saying, hey, you're, you're good at this. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it's pretty surreal to think back on it. Yeah, absolutely. And he's every bit uh, of a, you know, a Hoosier treasure around here. And in fact, one of the Indy 11 supporters group, Slaughterhouse 19, is um, named after one of um, his novels, a tribute to one of his novels. So, yeah, I mean, that's a fantastic story. And uh, that's why I even I asked Matt actually before the show, I was like, you were not being like sarcastic at all when you you said that, because I just saw like the tweet briefly. And I was like, I just wanted to make sure that I was understanding this right, because it was just such a phenomenal story. So, uh, yeah, that that's um quite the story. John, uh, you got a question for Matt? Well, I'll give one from Nipoon and then one from myself. First up, it's going to be some player rumors and we've heard a handful through the rumor mill lately as MLS fans on Twitter and the MLS rumors Twitter people 
typically do. Do you think Rooney to DC United has any weight to it? Do you think this would be even a smart move or even uh, possibly a – do you think it has any chance of happening? I think it's done. I think it'll be announced within the next week or two at the latest. Um, and whether or not it's a smart move, I mean, in a vacuum, no. He, he's the, – the, the transfer fee seems exorbitant, and, and the salary seems um, <laughs> too much, too high. Uh, and we know, like, this is a guy with sixty thousand miles. There are sixty thousand minutes on on his legs. That's a lot of miles. And um, guys who come in at that point tend not to have it. And we all know that Rooney isn't the player that he was five years ago. He's never been the same after that knee injury. Um, so it's, it, I have, I have a tough time saying that this is this is the right move for dc united at the same time i don't think he's going to be a complete flop he you know he scored 11 goals in the in the premier or 10 goals in the premier league and and maybe one in the fa cup for for everton this year so it's not like he's completely past it um and and he does have some name recognition and what gives me hope is that Everything I've heard is that this move will be made in conjunction with a bunch of other stuff at DC United, including they're finally going to make their academy free to play, uh, and they're going to launch their own USL club out in Loudoun in, in, in the DC excerpts. And yeah. so that will create a real sort of pathway to the first team and create some meaningful depth and meaningful competition for spots for DC, which they've never really had. Um, so... It, look, it, Rooney is not where I would spend $20 million, but I understand why they feel they have to do it. It'll be a big name to open up the stadium. Um, and it's the fact that they won't be doing it alone. They will be making these other moves to build the team infrastructure um, that make me at least partially pleased with the direction that it's going. So if you had to predict... Just spitballing here. If you had to predict where he would fall on the expensive, older European marquee signing scale from Frank Lampard to David Villa, where do you think he might fall? Um, I, I think the hope is that he ends up somewhere around Thierry Henry. Uh, Thierry Henry was, was, had moments where he was spectacular when he came to the Red Bulls, but he, he was never the best player in the league. And I don't think Rooney's ever going to be the best player in the league. And, and that's fine because the, the real value for Henri was he professionalized that franchise. They were, mm-hmm. they were kind of half-assed before he yeah. got there. And, and, and he demanded a, a level of excellence and he enforced that on his teammates and, and honestly on the staff and on the front office to an extent and the ownership group to an extent. He enforced that every day. And hopefully Rooney can have that kind of effect because DC United need that. DC United have been run on a shoestring budget for, for 15 years now. Um, and and you, you can't do that if you have a, a name like Wayne Rooney in there. So the hope is that he can have the sort of holistic on and off field effect um, for DC that Henri did for the Red Bulls. Mm-hmm. And just one of the other big rumors I've heard out there is Torres and Balotelli, and I think one of those has already been proven false. The other one is still potentially up in the air. Do you see either of them ever stepping foot in an MLS stadium for an MLS game? 
I mean, Balotelli might, but it'll be you know three four years from now if it happens because like you said, it's been he, he signed with somebody. I, he didn't re up with Nice. He he signed. Oh, I I've forgotten who he signed with, but he's back in the Italy squad and and he's not going to jeopardize that by coming to MLS. So uh, I, I don't think Balotelli is going to happen anytime soon. Uh, Torres, the I think Fox Sports. Espanol is, is reporting that it's done between him and Chicago. Now, I'm not sure I believe that it's done, uh, but I know that there, there is a lot of will to get it done in Chicago. Uh, Torres and, and Velko Panovic are actually old buddies from uh, the Atletico Madrid days. So I, I suspect that one is going to happen. And who do you think is going to be the next unexpected team to pull a Chicago or a DC and go sign some big expensive European superstar. And why will it never be FC Dallas? <laughs> well, uh, I, I, I can't tell you what the next unexpected team to do that would be because then I would expect it. So it, it ah, you got me there. Yeah. Logically impossible. <laughs> um, I, I can say that it won't be FC Dallas because uh, they have their identity, and I think they're they're starting to double down on their identity in terms of or rediscover their identity in terms of playing the kids, uh, and and that is exactly what they should do. They've done you know a great job with that academy, and they've done a less good but still commendable job with with identifying uh, lower budget imports from South America, and in in my mind, that's the best way to build a team in MLS and. Um, the news that we have today from Sam Stashko on, on MLSsoccer.com and was in the Dallas Dallas News last week, um, Dallas mm-hmm. Morning News, is that the paper? Is yeah, that, and. Yeah, there, there will be an FC Dallas USL team next year, most likely in, in USL 3, um, playing somewhere in, in or around Frisco. Uh, and, and that is, to me, that is a better, longer-lasting, more worthwhile investment than any single player this is what fc dallas need to sort of make up for the ground they've lost over the last four years and reel in the likes of the red bulls and toronto fc and atlanta united well i'd say the last year i don't think we lost too much ground at the end of 2016 for the most part because i seem to recall that season went you know above average for us right but in terms of building infrastructure you guys Fair. lost. You guys lost ground, and, yeah. and the 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 meltdown you had in in 2017 um, that started when you didn't create a USL team in 2015. Because yeah. if you have a team where all of a sudden Grezo and Acosta and and Zimmerman all have their eyes on Europe and, and maybe Barrios and Rudy too uh, to an extent, if if you have that. And they start, you know, they stop performing for, for those reasons and or others. Um, and you had the USL team, then you would have had guys with game experience who are ready to step in and, and take those spots to, to put pressure on the coach and on the guys in front of them uh, on the roster. And you lacked that last year. So when the bottom fell out in July, it just it, it, it wasn't just a downward spiral. It was a death spiral. And that's and the, keep leading. Yeah, 
And then again, that happened in 2015 when they decided they, that they didn't want to create a USL team. And it's good to see that in 2019 they'll be rectifying that. Yeah. And I've got another, since we've brought this up briefly, there have been, from the same people I first heard the Dallas USL rumors from, some rumblings that a certain former Colombian international currently warming benches in Western Turkey <laughs> may be becoming dissatisfied with his current employment situation. And there may be some talk of him wanting to come back. Is this something we should even remotely consider going for? I mean, he's a good player. So this is Fabian Castillo that, that's being talked about. And he, he's a good player, and, and uh, you always have to consider good players, but it seems like there would have to be a lot of water under the bridge um, for that to work out. Uh, and, and also you would have to move up probably four spots in the allocation rankings because there's what Galaxy, DC United, the Rapids, and Minnesota United in front of you guys. Um, so if if you're going to reunite with Fabian Castillo, there's going to have to be a lot of work done. And I could see him coming back to MLS. I'm just not sure I see him coming back to Dallas. Well, I mean, we could always just sell another center back to Nashville when they join the league and use that to gamify the uh, allocation <laughs> order again. It seems you to could, work all right. I'm not sure you have that many center backs. I mean, you're trying out minor Figueroa in real games in 2018. So that suggests your, your depth back there ain't what it used to be. It's better than it was last year. Uh, uh, marginally. <laughs> and to jump back real quick to DC United, uh, with Rooney in tow, and I'm not even talking about long term, I'm more so talking about, you know, midterm, like this season. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily believe that they can make the playoffs, but I guess what I'm saying, Matt, is talk me off the ledge here. But I know coming into the weekend, DC United, they only had five points, but they did pick up a huge road win at San Jose, 3-1, to one, so now they're at eight points. Uh, however, if you look closely, they have a game in hand, I believe, on every single other team in the East, um, and as many as three or four games in hand on a, a couple teams. So um, is there any chance that somehow DC United could shock everyone and maybe make a, a playoff run, or is that just uh, completely absurd, Matt? Uh, it's, it's completely absurd. <laughs> uh, sorry about that, but, um, I mean, let's count them out. In the Eastern Conference, Atlanta United, are they going to fade? No. New York City FC, are they going to fade? No. Columbus, are they going to fade? No. Red Bulls, are they going to fade? No. So that's four. Does anybody really believe that Toronto is is going to you know keep dropping points once they get yeah. healthy? I mean, yes. is, so you think you think Toronto, <laughs> who are literally the best, the second best team on the continent, win healthy? As of last month, you think they're not going to start charging up the standings? I think it's going to be later than people expect, but I think it, there's going to be a... I think we're in for a few more howlers, I think. I, I would be surprised. I mean, they'll, they'll lose some games, but I don't think... I, I think that they have turned the corner now, um, you know, starting with that win over Orlando City and getting their defense healthy. So you, you're talking about five playoff spots that the Eastern Conference are spoken for. And then you have... Orlando and New England um, kind of fighting for the last one. I, I just don't see a way for, for D.C. To, to get into that scrape. They don't have the same amount of firepower. The defense is always kind of shaky looking, and they don't have Bill to meet to bail them out. Um, even, even if they get Rooney, it, they're still fighting such an uphill battle um, that it just it, it, it stretches 
it, it, it's just not particularly plausible. And for what it's worth, um, 538 right now gives them a 20% chance of making the playoffs, which is, I, I mean, yeah. That seems high to me. <laughs> it does seem high, doesn't it? Uh, but hey, it's better than Montreal, who are down at 8%, and that yeah. seems high. So. Anyway, uh, your colleague at MLSsoccer.com, Paul Tenorio, also recently reported um, a new mechanism possibly or likely coming to MLS called the Youth Transfer Fund, the YTF. Um, it's supposed to take effect July 10th, and it's a $3 million purse that will run through the end of the 2022 season. And the ultimate goal, it looks like, is basically to invest in young talent to ultimately sell. Um, so what are your thoughts on this new me- mechanism, Matt? Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's interesting and, and it's 3 million more dollars for, for teams to spend and, and, you know, nominally go out and get uh, good players and, and anything that raises the quality of the league is probably good. Um, but it's not an unvarnished good because if you saw the salary release a couple of weeks back, I mean, pretty much every team has at, at least one contract that's horrendous. It's absolutely horrendous, and, and most have way more than one. And, like, and, and this, these players, like, if you have $3 million, you're not going out and getting an Ezekiel Barco. You're, you're not going out and getting a Diego Rossi or even a Josue Coleman who can barely get on the field for Orlando City. You're, you're not getting a finished product. You're getting a guy who is going to need tons of development. And how many teams in MLS are really good at developing players? I can think of maybe a half dozen, maybe. And so they're going to go out and they're going to, to me, I think what this is going to lead to is teams overspending or overbidding for mediocre talent. Um, so I, I, I admire the, the sentiment, but I don't think it's been thought through as, as much as it could or should have been. Um, and, and I think in, in the long run, I would much rather see that money invested in coaching and scouting, um, which are two areas where uh, a little bit of uh, improvement can go much, much further. And we did get one Twitter question from Scott Harkema, Twitter user at the underscore Sharkema. He wants to know, Matt, who of the old guard, and he names a few players, Guzan, Bradley, Altador, Bedoya, etc., gets called up again for the Gold Cup next year? Or is the youth movement an attempt to phase them out? Um, I don't think Sarakin's attempt. I think if Sarakin was going to be kept on as, as head coach, and he knows he's not going to be. If he was going to be kept on, then he would have all those guys there. Um, and I think whoever the head coach is, uh, for, for, you know, hopefully right after the World Cup and, and you know, the next four years, will sort of honestly and, and realistically critique the whole player pool. And, and of the three that, or the four that were mentioned, I think the first three, um, Guzan, Bradley, and, and Altador, uh, all have spots. Uh, I, I, don't think, I don't think that Bedoya does anymore. Um, but, you know, give, give me a... Four-two-three-one with um, Bradley, Weston, McKenney, and and and, uh, and Christian Pulisic. Like that'll be fun. With, with 
with Josie Altador up top. Josie is still clearly the best center forward in the pool when he's healthy. Um, like that, that would be fun. And I, I would watch that. Um, and I think that would win a lot of games. And, uh, you know, now does that group take you all the way to 2022? Maybe not. Um, but we got a lot of games to win between now and, in 2022. And, and I think Bradley and Altador and Kuzan in particular uh, of the old guard, uh, I, I'll throw Matt Beasler in there as well. Maybe I, I think those guys all have a lot of games to play. John. Since you mentioned coaching and we're discussing this, here's a, I've got a few coaching related questions. First up, who do you think of the rumored names we've heard battered around has any realistic chance of getting picked by U.S. soccer for the next men's national team coach? And do you think the, I'm not necessarily going to call it a rumor, but the hot take or debate that maybe Arsene Wenger should be the option? <laughs> uh, I don't think there's anything to the Wenger stuff like I, I i put that on on twitter as kind of like a tongue-in-cheek joke um i think he wants to manage france and I, I think from from everything i've heard he'll he'll get that chance after the world cup um i if i was the ussf president i would absolutely consider him i, I you know he, he's not he's not the visionary he once was but he's still a very good manager i think um uh, I think there's a bunch of guys in MLS who will be considered. Tata Martino, if you look at his resume, absolutely. Greg Vanny, if you look at what he's done uh, in terms of creating a high-level team and integrating young players with higher profile, um, you know, more veteran players. Uh, Greg Berhalter, like he, he's the best attacking coach in, in the league. Uh, Peter Vermees, he is the best defensive coach in the league. Jesse Marsh, he might be the best all-around coach in the league. Like Jesse Marsh is rumored to be going to uh, you know Red Bull Leipzig, and it makes sense because his teams play that well. Uh, I would consider Patrick Vieira as well. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of guys in MLS, guys from outside of MLS. It's it's tough to put a finger on it right now because um, you know we're heading into the World Cup and there will be more names out there. But I, I would certainly hope that a guy like Guillermo Berescalota you know, who's down at, at Boca Juniors right now, I would hope he would be considered, or, you know, at least shout at him. David Wagner, the, the former U.S. international who, who coaches Huddersfield Town in, in the Premier League, um, though his trajectory might uh, be more club-based, I, I would hope that he gets considered as well. So there's, there's a lot. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's, it's good to have that quality to choose from. Um, the worry is who's doing the choosing. We still don't know that, and, and um, <laughs> that's 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 a tough way to look at it right now, given um, that we have kind of hit our nadir and we have a a lot of digging to do get it to you know get out of this pit. All right, and with all those MLS coaches, which which of the few coaches making their MLS coaching debut this year, who who's impressed you the most, and who do you think is still trying to? come to grasp with the way MLS operates. Yeah, I, I think that of the new coaches, um, Gio Savare say, anybody who watched the lower divisions the last five years knew he could coach. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and like granted with the Cosmos, he always had a bigger budget than everybody else, but part of coaching is being able to hold a locker room together and, and manage a guy who's making $50,000 next to a guy who's making $4 million. And, and he's doing that um, pretty well with Portland. 
So he's up there, and, and Brad Friedel's done really well with the, with the Revs, um, which is uh, maybe not that surprising because he's got a good background with Tottenham, and he did his whole UEFA pro course, which is, um, you know, guys who've done that course really speak highly of it. So that makes sense that he's doing, uh, doing good work. Um, obviously, the guys who have struggled are, are uh, you know, most of the other guys. Um, Remy Garde, who, who you know, coached in league on and, and has done some stuff. Um, he has that Montreal team playing genuinely terrible soccer, and they've lost seven of eight now, and they just lost to a 10-man LA Galaxy at home, just brutal. Uh, Michael Stara, he's only beaten Minnesota United, which should only count for half a win. You know, <laughs> like it's, I think they're they're two and zero against Minnesota United and, and like oh seven and three against everybody else. Oh six and two, but close enough. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then and then Anthony Hudson, which is a hire that never made sense for a single second. Uh, he was his teams, whether he was you know managing in the lower divisions overseas or, or with a, a New Zealand team that played completely uninspired soccer at all times, they, they his teams have never won. And now he's with the Rapids and, and they're not winning. And, and um, like it, it's, it's maybe, it's maybe not a shock, uh, but you know, we'll see the season's not over in 10 games, but um, boy, it's getting closer to it, isn't it? Yeah. And that, that uh, I, I feel so bad for Minnesota coming in alongside Atlanta and all the hype they got in the lower leagues against, you know, holding their own against the Cosmos. It just hurts. Yeah, it does. They they made so many mistakes. But the crazy thing is, if you look at that Western Conference, that sixth playoff spot is up for grabs. And and now, granted, I'm, I'm not betting at all on Minnesota United taking that spot, but at least they could put the ball in the net. A few of the other teams who are vying for it, I guess we'll say, um, to me, they look like no-hopers. So they have a chance, um, but they're certainly they're nothing like Atlanta United at this point. I'll say that. Let's, have, let's just have one of these fun questions. What happens first? Atlanta wins MLS Cup or Minnesota makes the playoffs? Oh... Boy, I think uh, I, I think we'll see Atlanta win MLS. Yeah, no, it's a coin flip. It's a coin flip. Ooh. <laughs> well, Matt, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Any final thoughts you'd like to share before we let you get out of here? No, just shout out Indianapolis. What's up? What <laughs> up? Well, that is our show for you today. Thanks so much to my co-host John Leonard. You can find him at John MLTX. Huge thanks to our guest, Matt Doyle, senior writer of MLSsoccer.com. This has been episode 49. Oh, by the way, I forgot his Twitter handle. Follow Matt at MattDoyle76. Big thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at RoughneckScarves.com. I'm your host, Kevin Johnston. It's been a pleasure. We'll be back potting next week, so definitely check that out. Until then, we bid you farewell.